There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Very few people can say they were the sickest person in the ICU. Even fewer can say they had 1% chance to live. Bob Brahms can say both. A few years back, after a banal car accident here in D.C., doctors found a brain tumor six centimeters big, and it turned out to be a rare form of brain cancer. The diagnosis shocked Brahms, who at the time was a successful international lawyer. It turned his life upside down and ultimately led to him being in a coma for months. After years of recovery, Brahms comes on this show with his wife to talk about their story, how he recovered, and also about their new fight to raise awareness about brain cancer. Bob and Kim Brahms, welcome to the DMV Download Podcast. And thank you so much for welcoming me into your home and you know, really sharing this story. To start, Bob, you know, tell us about what happened right before you, know, you learned about your brain cancer diagnosis. What really led to that knowledge and that discovery? Everything was going perfectly. Mm. And then I was in traffic accident on Willard Avenue in D.C., I think it is, maybe it's Maryland. And somebody ran to me from behind and bumped me. It was definitely her fault, not that it matters that much. And she bumped me and we went off to the side of the road. And she said, well, at least we're both. She looked almost angelic. Mm. Like, I think, you know, we're all good now. At least we're safe and happy. And, um, and those words are very prophetic in the end. But I ended up having, like, numbing in my fingers and my neck after the crash, yes. And so uh, Kim's uncle was the chief of neurosurgery at Fairfax, Fairfax Hospital. And so he said, might want to get an MRI, just double-check then I went to, the, got the MRI, and the doctor came back, and he said, Mr. Brahms, are you aware you have a spot on your brain? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I wasn't aware of that. But in 1997, I had an MRI because I was having headaches. And so they did the MRI, and they saw, like, a mass in there, but they said it was scar tissue. In fact, it was not scar tissue. It was brain tumor and and so and doubled in size by then it became six centimeters then kim had kim actually left the party that was going on at her house and came down to the hospital i said you don't have to come anyway and kim like just left her own party Mm. and came down why'd why'd you uh why'd you leave the party (laughs) because he says okay so he calls up and he says um they tell me i have a spot on my brain so Silently, I'm freaking out because my father passed away from a glioblastoma. Mm. So I hear spot on the brain, and of course, I go to the worst case scenario. And I was just like dumbfounded. I'm like, I want another MRI done. I want this, you know, are you sure there wasn't some kind of mess up? Are you Mm. sure you have the right person? Because it was just unbelievable. I ended up uh, going to Hopkins and spoke to the chief of neurosurgery there. And 
he spoke to me and he said, yeah, you have a oligodendroglioma. He thought. He, he thought, thought it was an oligo. He's not sure until he opens your head and figures things out. Whoa. Yeah. Like MRIs are not very, they're not as specific as you think they were mm. in terms of the coverage. Anyway, so then January 13, I had surgery and I was feeling more headachy back then. And so, and that's when the kind of the disaster started. And I was, had the surgery for like eight hours. And then about four hours after my surgery, I was, back, I was in the intensive care uh, neurosurgery area. And all of a sudden I was acting strangely, like sort of reaching for the back of my head. Mm. And that's kind of the last point I really remember for a long, long time. Mm. And Kim was, you know, Kim was the star of the show and, and she can give you her thoughts about what she was seeing and hearing and feeling. And, uh, and it, was, it was pretty crazy. It was In really other words, surreal. You, know, you went into a coma. Yes. Yeah. Right, yes. you were un and unresponsive. So, Kim, from the sense-oriented world, you know, when you still had, you know, consciousness, what were you seeing? What were... Well, what, I kept, happening? you know, I kept seeing him. He was just really uncomfortable. And he kept, like, sort of turn, tossing and turning. Um, and I kept saying to the nurse, you know, something just doesn't look right to me. And they're telling me, no, 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 this happens a lot after, you know, brain surgery. Um, and... So I kept watching, and this was, you know, about, it started really about five, maybe six hours after mm. surgery. And finally, I just, I just wasn't comfortable. And I said, you know, at this point, the neurosurgeon had gone home, and it was just, you know, residents and attending in the hospital. Whoa. And I just said to the nurse, I said, you know, you really need to get somebody down here to take a look. I'm really uncomfortable. And then... Uh, they said, no, no, you know, let, let's just, let's just see kind of what, what happens. And at this point he kind of reaches for the back of his head and he says, ouch. And the nurse was about to go off his shift and another nurse came in and I said, something is not right here and you've got to get somebody down here. And if you don't, I'm going to scream and I probably use some ex <laughs> Wow. But you, you um, advocated basically. Oh, yeah. totally, totally. And then it's sort of they all came running and they said, you know, we're going to take him in for, a, a, you know, a CAT scan or an MRI. And I said, I'm going with you. They said, no, you can't. I said, yes, I can. Just suit me up. I'm going in. Sure enough, they let me go in with him. We got him on the table and in the machine. And you could see that there was a brain bleed. Basically, he was having a hemorrhagic stroke. So at that point, you know, it, it just, he went into a coma they had to intubate him he was on life support you know the swelling in his brain started to happen his brainstem was starting to get a little compromised it was a really dire situation so they basically did not know what was going to happen and they were preparing us for the worse right and for i'm a lay person medically you know but brainstem like coma you know stroke bleeding in the brain these are extremely serious Medical realities, like close yes. to death. I mean, we're talking yes. very close to yes. death, just to let all listeners know. Your, you know. your brain stem gets compromised, you're done. I was given a 1% chance of living. I was I, considered a catastrophic loss. 
I was the sickest guy in the neurointensive care unit. Yeah, so he was. I was. Yeah, and then they just, must have been worried. I knew nothing, but <laughs> a lot was happening to me. Right. So, and Kim, you advocated. I mean, you went first. You were at this party, and you went, you know, to the hospital when you heard about the spot. And then, obviously, at this point, it seems like you have some sixth sense or something. But you, you knew something was going on. Well, yeah, and having been down this road with my father. You know, it was just, it was surreal. Mm. Kim's um, also a psychotherapist, so she well, I, thinks you know. about what people are thinking about. <laughs> right, right, no. So, yeah, so it was just, it, it really was just an unbelievable experience. Um, so he was sort of, and he was kind of off the planet for like a while. <laughs> and Bob, maybe you can't answer this question, but you have no memory. It's just kind of a, a, a space and it, it seems as if you went to sleep and, and you just woke up the next hour? Like, is that an accurate description? <laughs> yes. And apparently I was in pain, according to Kim, but I knew nothing of pain. I wasn't floating over my own body. Mm. <laughs> when you woke up, what was going through your head and what was that process even like? Not a lot. I mean, I was just kind of there and glad to be alive and all that. And I, although I... At the time I woke up, I didn't appreciate that I may have been sort of out of it for a couple months. Wow. And so it's just, it, it took a while for me to finally sort of say, Kim, like, what happened, like, to Garrett's wrestling season? How do you do? Whoa. You know? And so I remember talking to you about that on our ride home from Hopkins. And it was just, you know, really strange. And when he woke up out of, the coma and they, you know, basically took him off the life support because we saw that he was going to survive. Um, his vocal cords were compromised. Right. And so he could only whisper. And, you know, he really just, you know, we would have people come in, he wouldn't really remember. It was strange, the things that he would pay attention to, like if we put wrestling on the TV, he would pay attention to that. Mm. Um, somebody else brought like a Dan Gable poster and we put it up on the wall. He would pay attention to that. Wow. It Things was, that we, brain responded to. Yeah, mm -hmm. that he would just, you know, yeah, that he would just, you know, familiar, be familiar with. Mm. Um, but it, Kim, it was Kim wouldn't even let guests come in and see me. Friends of mine. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it was, it was yeah, a pretty I scary looked, sight. Yeah, a dire, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, least, yeah like. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But, I mean, we stayed watch. We all took shifts, you know, between my kids and my sister's family. And his brother came down, you know, because we were just watching hour by hour. Mm. You know, we just didn't know what was going to happen. We've been hearing from Bob Brahms and his wife, Kim. Coming up after the break, we'll hear about their new fight to raise awareness about this rare brain cancer. Stick around. And we're back. So, Bob, after you woke up, you know, from your coma... What was next for you? You know, how did you fill your time? What did that look like? And, you know, previously you were an international lawyer, you know, ambitious and full of energy. Where have you poured that energy now that you're back? Yeah. Um, well, I practiced law for like 35 years. I um, clerked for a federal court judge and then went to two major law firms. Uh, I was a practice group chair in both law firms, Patton Boggs and Greenberg Krorig. And so, um, so I sort of felt like I got the idea and recorded my time for 35 years. And I was sort of thinking like, 
my new passion was to help find a cure for brain cancer. Mm. And so that's what has sort of driven me over the last seven, eight years to really think about what I can do to get more focus on this problem. Mm. And things have not changed a lot in terms of fight to beat brain cancer over the last 20 years. Really, standard of care has not changed immeasurably, although there is more effort now to get things done. I've had no clinical trials in the last seven years. And I've got, I've got the top doctors in the world on my case. Right. Um, and my doctor at Hopkins said, well, don't worry about it. If you're not having clinical trials, you're probably better off. And so that didn't satisfy me. I think one of the problems is cancer in other parts of the body is more prevalent than in the brain. Of course, you've lost a lot of high-level people like Bo Biden and John McCain yeah. and, and Ted Kennedy. And, um, but, you know, I think the profitability in finding a cure for brain cancer is not there. I almost feel like, like, a, like a pandemic approach has to be taken. Like the federal government has to make it like profitable mm. for companies to focus on Curing Cheers. brain cancer. Right, invest in the project. Invest in it, yeah, to make yeah. it profitable, you know, for these companies. And so that's kind of the way I sort of see it now. Right. And, you know, when I sort of came back to life, I was, um, I really was not sure of my prognosis. And so I really had to think about you know, my kids and like what would happen to them if I wasn't around and Kim. Mm -hmm. And so I really had to think real hard about their majors, the direction they would go for college and what they should think about. And, you know, I, as I was talking with you about the, the whole idea of, you know, what they should be thinking about. And I, you know, I sort of said like trigonometry is not very helpful for most people mm. but learning how to read write and speak is very important for everyone for all phases of life if you're going to be a professional you got to learn to write and write well mm. and speak well and present well and so that's what i you know really emphasized to them right and you know debatably to uh, the world you know you wrote a book <laughs> you kind of put a lot of those ideas down it seems or you at least told your story and, and yeah wrote those down tell me about the transition between you know waking up from a coma obviously regaining cognitive ability physical yeah. ability yeah to crafting you know a, a book which most people don't even do it yeah with. so i began writing like i don't know like a year after this and no, it was a, it was a it couple was a of years. Couple yes. years. So anyway. Sometimes time is... <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, and Kim says, your writing's terrible. And, you know, I wrote for a living. And so... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, and as time evolved, like, writing was like a, like a puzzle to me, where the puzzle pieces kept changing mm. as I was writing. So now I think I can write reasonably well, but... Back then, it was not good. 
and Kim would give me. Well, I mean, it was it was very therapeutic for him, and he had he had a lot of help writing the book. Right, you know, he would write things, and then friends, and you know, former colleagues, and um, you know, would assist him, and and you know, change it, and so forth. Yeah, Um, takes a village, right? Yeah, Yeah, it takes a village, and and that's really what what this book was. Yeah, you know, it it was a village effort. Mm. And you you've brought up wrestling, you know, throughout uh, this conversation. You talk about in your books, kind of thematic, you know. um, Yeah thread, if you will, you know, talk about how um, wrestling has played a part just in your life, but also in this, you know, past few years from, yeah. you know, diagnosis to um, some really intense moments and coming close to death to recovery, you know, how, yeah. how has that played a role? Well, you know, I started wrestling like in seventh grade and then ninth grade, I was on the varsity and I lost like every match my freshman year. By senior year, I was the best guy on the team, only guy on the team to go to state tournament. Anyway, so, and then it's, you know, as you know, wrestling requires a lot of focus and determination and grit. I mean, when you're at the end of a match and you're tuckered out and you're wrestling a tough guy, I mean, you just have to gut it out and really think about what you're doing and you just can't give up. Wasn't it Dan Gable who said, you know, once you've wrestled, everything in life is easy? Yeah. 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 I, that, I think that's very true. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, going through the health stuff, I was not when I had no idea what was going on. But after that, in terms of recover, I'm like, I'm going to beat this thing. I'm uh, going to treat it like wrestling and just, you know, really focus hard and be strong and move forward and had the right determination to succeed and stay alive. Yeah. And so what's next? That's a, probably the biggest question, you know. Um, when you look out to the future, you know, what do you see, what do you hope for, and uh, what's there? A cure. Yeah. I mean, or to make it chronic. Well, make it chronic, yeah. I mean, Explain that. So when I say chronic, so like many of our illnesses or our diseases can be managed. They're not, you know, dire in the sense that a death sentence. So mm-hmm. it would be great if, you know, brain cancer could be managed and that you could live your life successfully mm-hmm. with, you know, your condition being managed right. and adjusted. Yeah, and that doesn't exist yet. No. Yeah, Bob, his type of brain tumor is very rare, so it really gets no money. You know, the brain tumor, of course, that's the worst is a glioblastoma. So, you know, of course, people are looking to really research that because to extend lives. Um, Bob's type of brain tumor is known as a slower growing brain tumor, but there are only three grades to his brain tumor. So once it goes from a grade two, it becomes a more aggressive brain tumor. But I've had it for maybe 20 years is the problem. Right. Even if it's slow growing, I don't like it. So I want to act quickly and I'm hoping the medical institutions will come out with something or research institutions will come out with some, something that's makes it chronic at least. And what's dawned on me, you know, throughout this conversation, whether it's you, Kim, kind of advocating, you know, for Bob in you know, the hospital, or you both now kind of advocating for, you know, brain cancer research, 
within the medical world, you have to advocate, you know, for, oh, for, any, for you, yourself. And I don't know if everyone knows that or thinks that, you know. It's so important. I don't care where you are or what hospital you're in. In the United States, you have to have an advocate. You know, yeah. because so many times, too, that, you know, if you're in a hospital, you're not able to get out of bed. You know, you need somebody to run to the nurse's station. You know, unfortunately, you know, there's a shortage of healthcare workers. So you really need to have someone there for you. Watching out for you. <clears throat> Absolutely. Mm. So as we close up here, you know, what other thoughts are left on you know, y'all's minds that we haven't covered? Well, my prognosis is uncertain. So I, I have MRIs like every four months. I happen to have another one come up in a month, which is because the last MRI showed at a little spot on my ventricle, one of my ventricles. So I want to make sure that's radiation damage and not further tumor growth. They think it's radiation damage. So I need to get that arranged and I'll figure that one out. But, you know, uh, I think there's a number of things we need to think about. Um, Kim, you might want to go through some of the things you're thinking about and then I'll, I'll follow up with the, anything you miss. Uh, I, you know, I think you pretty much hit it. I mean, really, it's um, putting in, you know, the money towards the, the brain cancer research, you know, and the various <clears throat> channels and avenues that are there. Yeah, I've raised over $100,000 for Hopkins. And so I've done, that's kind of a tip of the iceberg. You need to do more. Let's eliminate, you know, brain cancer in our lifetime, in our lifetimes. So, mm. you know, on this show, I've talked to a number of cancer survivors. I had Raskin on, you know, a few weeks ago, yes. and uh, with every interview I have with someone who's gone through, you know, cancer diagnosis, cancer recovery, you know, it's just one of the realest, uh, most difficult things, you know, uh, that our society and families, individuals have to go through work through yeah. and you know live through right and so i really appreciate you all coming on the show to talk yeah. about it and Our be pleasure. open about it you know um it's not easy to do or it doesn't seem so right yeah. no it's it, it's it's tough it's tough you know because you live each day you know with a certain amount of fear you know and hope and um you know as bob says you, you have to live with more hope than fear <laughs> well we're all given a death sentence from the moment we're born so it's true <laughs> so some just may know what might hit them worse and I and frankly I go to the cardiologist to make sure I have no heart problems be bad formed to die of a heart attack when I have brain cancer <laughs> <laughs> exactly and that'll do it for us today here on WTOP's DMV Download Podcast thank you so much for listening and as always rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform this show is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM and 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland. Online at WTOP.com and, of course, on the WTOP News app. Have a great week. We'll talk Wednesday.